You're listening to The Message from the Hillsborough United Methodist Church, our weekly sermon broadcast available for working around the home, your commute, or wherever God calls you to listen. The earliest Christians didn't have Christmas. It was a holiday that got added after a couple of generations. But for most of our 2,000 years, we've had a Christmas celebration. The early Christians observed a resurrection celebration each week by gathering on the first day of the week on Sunday and sharing a meal and singing songs of praise. And it wasn't long before that became a regular annual observance that we now call Easter. There are holidays that have been part of the Christian tradition for centuries. There are other holidays as well, Pentecost and Epiphany, or feast days for some of the saints. Even us Methodists, might remember that sometime in early October we do St. Francis because there's a blessing of the pets that sometimes happens or people will wear their St. Francis-y things. St. Patrick's Day, of course, everybody knows. It's not that religious of a holiday anymore, but it's been around for a long time. St. Valentine's Day. There are feast days and celebrations that have been part of the Christian tradition for, again, centuries. Today is, began as what was called the Feast of Christ the King. And now we call it Christ the King Sunday as Methodist, or sometimes we'll often hear it the Reign of Christ Sunday. It's the last Sunday of the liturgical year before the new year begins with Advent next Sunday. And this is not an ancient practice of the church. It was, well, invented. Anybody want to take a guess on when Christ the King was invented? 1934, 1934 close. 1925. By a pope, because if you're pope, I guess you can make apologies, which is a perk that I would have appreciated. I wish that I would have thought about being pope if I knew I can make holidays. Pope Pius XI created a feast of the Christ the King uh, for this last Sunday of the liturgical year before the beginning of Advent. And he wasn't just sort of thinking, you know, we don't have enough feast days because literally every day on the calendar can be a feast day for one of the different saints. Pope Pius chose to create Christ the King Sunday Because as he looked at the state of the world in 1925, and particularly what was happening in the European powers in 1925, what he saw was a rise in nationalism and ethnic centralizing and, and centering ethnic priority over other ethnic groups in a nation. He saw a rise of fascism And he wanted to create a sort of confrontational day 
at which Christians around the world would have to recognize that their loyalty lies with one or the other, but not both. You cannot be a fascist and a follower of Jesus. You cannot be a nationalist and a follower of Jesus. You cannot be a racist and a follower of Jesus. Nadia Bowles Weber, many of you know as a, a Lutheran pastor, she's sort of well-known because she's quite interesting, uh, and she has lots of tattoos, and she curses more than just about anybody I know, uh, and she's also really a brilliant public theologian. And this week she shared the story of Pope Pius and the creation of Christ the King Sunday, and the idea that it was really to offer a counter to the prevailing winds of the day, and she said, what this really is, is Antifa Sunday. Ooh, I know! That's why she can sell books, because she says stuff like that. But she's also not wrong. We cannot, as followers of Jesus, give our loyalties to anything except the three-in-one God we serve. Jesus and Pilate are having this strange conversation. This passage from John's Gospel that uh, Randy read for us um, comes from the time after Jesus has been betrayed and arrested. He's been confronted by the high priest. He's now been taken to Pilate. And they say, you do something with him. And Pilate has this conversation with the Jewish leaders of the day. And he says, what do you want me to do? And they say, well, we can't we can't execute him. It's against our law. You're the guy in charge of executions. Get rid of him. And Pilate comes back in and says to Jesus, what is happening? Why are you here? Your own people have turned you in and asked for you to be executed. Why are you here? Are you the king of the Jews? And as often happens in John's Gospel especially, Jesus is having a conversation about something at this level, and the people he's engaged in conversation with are just, they're wandering around and completely lost and confused. It's ships in the night. It's people who cannot connect because Jesus is talking about something more potent and truthful than Pilate can grasp. Jesus says, well, you said I'm a king. I said, yeah, I know I said I was, but really, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, if I were a king, don't you think that my armies would be here, my followers would be here to rescue me? He says, look, I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. Are you king of the Jews or not? And Jesus said, not in a way that you would understand. My kingdom is not of this world. You can just see and imagine Pilate's exasperation. Pilate has the power and authority to either imprison Jesus or have him offered up for execution or to set him free. That power resides solely in Pilate's hands in this moment. It's an extraordinary power and authority that he wields. And Jesus is entirely disinterested. He's entirely disinterested in engaging with Pilate in a political conversation. Not because Jesus is opposed to politics, but because he recognizes the power and authority that Pilate wields is ultimately, truly 
ruinous and rotten. We lived in for a couple of years, as you know. We even got to go see Buckingham Palace once, and I mean, it's nice. They don't let you inside. Don't see the queen, she's not standing in the window. <laughs> but I recognize that in that moment, as you stand there at Buckingham Palace with the gates and the tall things and the big, huge palace and the guards who march around, all of that, all of that is designed to project the power and authority, not only of the Queen, but of Great Britain and the United Kingdom. They want people to see and be impressed by the display of power and might that's happening there. I didn't expect a dance break today, but there you go. Why is it that when the President of the United States goes to a foreign country, they have the giant plane and the giant limo? It is partly because they want to keep the President safe, but more it's because we want people to know how powerful our nation is. It's projection of our image so that people will see, hey, look at this. Do you see what our nation is capable of? but the powers of the world are always going to crumble. The authority given to humanity, to any one of us to be in charge of others, is always going to fail, especially when it rests on oppression and injustice, especially when it is self-serving, especially when it is used to the ends of caring for oneself and one's friends and one's cronies. This is what Jesus is trying to get Pilate to understand. Yeah, you can in this moment wield power and authority, but my kingdom, the kingdom I've been teaching about and showing folks the kingdom that we are called to enter into is not a kingdom that wields power and authority in the same way you do. You might execute me, but the power of the kingdom that I serve will go on. Who needs a king? We might think that we don't need kings, and we don't. But it is part of the human condition that we center our lives, we base our lives, we commit our lives to something. That there is some final ultimate value or truth or power that we hold on to as our place. It's our thing. It's what we do. It's who we are. This is my... And there are lots of those kinds of small things that we hold on to, sports teams and activities and identities. But ultimately, at the bottom of all of that, there is something that resides at the center of our lives. And that, for all intents and purposes, is our thing. 
It might be power and prestige and accomplishments and accolades. It might be some notion of the self as the sort of individual who stands alone and fights against the crowds and makes it by pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. It might be a sense of ethnic identity and supremacy. In this nation, let's be really clear that there are a lot of folks for whom the primary value that they live by is white supremacy and the violence to enforce it. We see it over and over and over again. You cannot serve the powers of this world and be a follower of Jesus. Pope Pius had a pretty good idea, I think, to confront us with a day when we say right out loud that as followers of Jesus, he is our king, not the actual king who's sitting on the throne, not the president that we've elected or the government that works on our behalf, not the corporations that we commit ourselves to, not the ideals and, ideas and ideals of a particular kind of nationalism or supremacy. We have to say right out loud that Jesus is our king. Because when you say that, you cannot be, Caesar cannot be your king. If you say Jesus is our king, you cannot say gun violence is our king. If you say Jesus is our king, white supremacy cannot be your king. If you say Jesus is our king, democracy and the American dream cannot be your king. Ultimately, our loyalty lies with Jesus and the kingdom that he brings to this world, which is founded not on power and authority, not on a projection of image and status, but on humble service and divine love. One of these days, I hope to get there. But if I'm honest, I want to take a clear self-examination. I know that my loyalties are often divided. I suspect that most of us would find that to be true. That we want to, as our prayer of confession said so potently this morning, we want to stand up halfway for justice, but we always pause when standing up for justice means that we might have to sit down and let somebody else take our place. I want to take care of somebody else's needs so long as it doesn't take too much money out of my own pocket. I want to speak up for truth until the truth says that I benefit from the same systems of oppression that others find themselves victims of. Because my loyalties can be divided. And that is not the end of the story. Each week, 
each year, every time we gather to proclaim God's good news, we are not just on this one Sunday saying that Christ is the King. We are saying that every time we gather, every time we submit ourselves to God's authority, every time we act in love instead of vengeance, every time we let go of a little bit of power, every time we kneel in humble service to others, we are proclaiming Christ's kingship in our lives and moving maybe just a tiny bit more to stand fully and firmly in God's kingdom. So happy Christ the King Sunday, siblings. May we live as followers of the humble servant king who kneels at the feet of his friends to wash their feet. Not only this day, but every day. Every other kingdom will crumble and fall. But this kingdom of God's eternal undying love is eternal and undying and will be here forever. And that, my friends, is the good news. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message from Hillsborough United Methodist Church. Our senior pastor is Clay Andrew. Our pastor for Las Naciones Hispanic Ministries is Jorge Rodriguez. Our media ministers are Kevin Proctor, Janica Stewart, Perry Hume, Al Dietrich, Christy Proctor, and Dave Rose. Presently, our live stream of services are available at 10 a.m. on the Hillsborough United Methodist Church YouTube page. You can find out more, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube at hillsboroughumc.org. Thank you.